This is Live from the Table, the official podcast of the world-famous Comedy Cellar, coming at you on Sirius XM 99, Raw Comedy, formerly Raw Dog, and wherever your podcasts are uh, available, and we're on YouTube, too. Uh, this is Dan Natterman, a comedian and uh, regular uh, co-host of Live from the Table. I'm here with Periel Ashenbrand, our producer... Shalom. And again, the word producer has is, is rather ambiguous. It's not ambiguous at all. We've established that numerous times. We also have with us Aruba Ray Ellen, one of our uh, Comedy Cellar MCs, um, a veteran MC here at the Comedy Cellar. They know him as Aruba Ray because he has a comedy club in Aruba, where I have performed on several occasions. And with us, I think for the first time ever on the podcast, Clayton Fletcher, comedian and professional poker player and author of the new book, The ROI of LOL. If you're not watching us on YouTube, uh, picture Ray Davies from The Kinks, the lead singer of The Kinks. That is what Clayton Fletcher looks like. I'm just going to take it as a compliment. You know, I'm just going to say th that guy's hot, so I'll take it. Well, um, <laughs> he's kind of cool looking, you know, right. but um, it's hard to dissociate his looks from the fact that he's a a famous rock star. Right. And, and so I am it's not. hard to devote. Yeah, you're not. Yeah. But at the, at the same time, you are a pro poker player. So tell us about the ROI of LOL. That's ROI, I guess, means return on investment. That's right. Yeah. And, and LOL, of course, means laugh out loud. So what what, what about it? What, what, what can you tell us about the ROI of LOL? So uh, first thing I want everyone to know about my new book is it has nothing to do with poker. But that's what Dan knows about me, <laughs> is that I'm a poker player. This book is about teaching business people how to use comedy skills at work. And, and using sort of a gambler's perspective on it. Of course. Yeah, there you go. Tied in. Um, so, so tell us, and by the way, you co-wrote it with a fellow goes by the name, I'm looking at the cover here, of uh, Steve Cody. Yeah, Steve Cody's a CEO. He's got a PR firm here in New York City called Peppercom. And uh, he and I have been training business people at his company and other companies together for like 15 years now. And then we finally decided, you know, it's time to write a book about this work we're doing. You know, because the problem, as you well know, Dan, is there just aren't enough comedians. You know, obviously. <laughs> By the way, Gary Goldman, speaking of comedians, he says, and this is the blurb on the back of the book, mm -hmm. Clayton Fletcher is an outstanding comedian and teacher. I cannot think of anyone better suited to teach you how to make your home or workplace funnier and happier no indication that he actually read the book from that blurb. <laughs> but, but, uh, Gary's well, not endorsing the book at all. He does not endorse the book. He just endorsed me personally. Well, that's what I find with yeah. a lot of these books because yeah. the truth is, I've, I asked for blurbs for my, I, I wrote a book, I Respiro Before COVID, a novel available on Amazon. Wonderful book. Um, Ray claims to have read it. I don't know that that's true. <laughs> I don't believe uh, it. Um, Excellent book. But Perel has read it. That I know. You, you believe me. I believe you, yes. Now, I am a poker player, and but, I think but, he's lying and she's telling the truth. <laughs> but Claytonius, um, the thing about blurbs is most people don't read the book. They're blurbing. They just don't have time. Does it matter? Now, I sent out, I, sent, I asked Jim Gaffigan for a blurb. Now, I'm not saying you didn't read it, no. but an hour later, I got a blurb. Yeah. So, no, it doesn't maybe matter. That's not the point of blurbs. Yeah, Nobody gives a shit. The point of blurbs is to help sell the book. The, the fact that you've actually read the book is immaterial. All right, but true or false, nobody that blurbs, I mean, like half of them don't read the book. I read the book. I, you didn't ask me well, to yeah, you, you didn't blurb me, yeah. I would so, say more than half. Yeah, more than half don't. But they, the write a, they write a blurb that's sort of like, this guy, I love this guy, he's funny. Yeah. yeah. But damn, think about it. You're asking for blurbs from the people that are the busiest. Right. See, I read the book, Perio read the book, you didn't ask us for no blurb. You didn't well, care about our. You wanted super famous people blurbs. That's right. And they're too busy to read your book. And that didn't help sell it either. Mm. However, <laughs> but like I said, available on Amazon.com, the 
It's called Iris Spiro Before COVID. It's a novel taking place in the comedy world, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about, tell us about how corporations can use LOL to increase their ROI. Yeah, very good. Um, you know, I break it down into stand-up, improv, and sketch, right? So the different skills that you learn from doing these different kinds of things and how they can help your company. It's not really about trying to make business people you know, comedians, but they can learn to be more engaging, more charismatic, uh, you know, improves presentation skills, corporate culture and all that stuff. So in the first half of the book, I'm explaining how these things work in our world in comedy. Right. And then in the second half of the book, the businessman kind of takes over the wheel and says how he uses these same skills in business. So, so you're, you're, you're saying that, um, for, for a, a corporate person or a, a businessman, to 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 be able to be funny with clients is that the gist of yeah with clients with his his or her employees with uh you know with with whoever and you know when it comes to like sketch for example a lot of companies basically do little sketches in their tv commercials nowadays i mean that's you know if you watch the super bowl each company is trying to be funnier than the next one a lot of times it kind of falls flat so what i try to do is the same thing we do in stand up try to teach them how to be authentic you know tell your real story and like what's really going on with you and don't just try to say something because you think it's funny probably the worst advice business people have ever been given is when you do a speech you should you should open with a joke right they always say yeah start with a joke and so these guys get up there in their suit and tie and they're like three guys walk into a bar and it, it just you know it's like okay whatever dude we could have read that on the internet this is more about you know being honest and and tapping into you know, what's really going on with you or your company or your, your home life, whatever the case may be. By the way, speaking of humor, you know, uh, one, one of the most well-known commercials over the past decade has been the Geico commercials, right? They were doing the the um, the, uh, the caveman. That was Geico, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, it didn't say anything about insurance, but we all remember the caveman. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, you know, because it was fun. I think they even made a sitcom. They did make a sitcom, yeah. Very short-lived, by the way. That sitcom, yeah. Well, in any case, a, the sitcom, ba- a sitcom based on a commercial is probably not going to last. Right, right, yeah. But uh, would that be an example of using uh, LOL for, for increasing ROI? Yeah, of course. I mean, and we did a, a ton of research for the book. I mean, there's all kinds of studies out there. Like, uh, employees are more engaged at work. They're less likely to quit their jobs. Uh, they don't value salary, number one. They actually put purpose before salary, like especially like millennials and Gen Z in the workplace now. They're not looking for just, you know, which company is going to pay me the most. Of course, that's important. But what's more important to them is like they want to be in a happy place with people they like to be around, especially if they have to go to the office, which more and more companies are doing now. Like the whole like work from home five days a week thing is starting to uh, fade out. And so now this is even more important as people get back into the physical office. Like, you know, how are we going to bond at work? It's not just like hanging out at the water cooler and talking about you know, whether the local sports team did well this weekend or not. But it's more about, you know, just really bonding with each other and, and working together as a unit. Uh, are you doing any workshops? Uh, because that's sort of a natural, um, would be a natural uh, derivative of this book, would be for you to conduct workshops for, yeah, for corporate people. for sure. And I've done, you know, hundreds over the years of these type of uh, corporate workshops with Steve Cody, sometimes without Steve Cody or different people from his company. And so we kind of, like, made our mark as, like, yeah, there were a lot of companies that were doing improv and they would just kind of have like, I don't know, like you know, some improv group come and like kind of make them be silly for a few hours and then we kind of forget it. But what we do is we develop a program where like you actually learn the skills that comedians know, whether it's stand up, improv or sketch and how to use those same skills at work. So it's not really so much like something you do once for fun, but more like how do you incorporate 
these ideas and these concepts and these, you know, tenets of comedy, if you will, into the workplace. So, you know, that's that's what the book is about. And we talk about different companies that we worked with in doing this type of training and when it went good and when it went bad and why. And, you know, you learn from the failures, too. Okay, so the, the name of the book is The ROI of LOL, available, uh, I guess, anywhere you get your books, which for most people is Amazon, but could be barnesandnoble.com. And you might even go to a bookstore yeah, if you're, book if you're feeling uh, old-fashioned. Um, the reason I wanted to have Ray on with you is because you both share a passion, uh, to just to move a little bit away from the book, for gambling. Yes. You are a professional poker player. Yeah. So you make what percentage of your income? You're a comedian. Um, you do these corporate workshops, but wh where does the bulk of your income come from? Is it from comedy or from poker? It kind of depends on the year, you know, but if I have a good year in poker, it it absolutely dwarfs everything else that I'm doing to make money. You know, for example, in the year 2018, I won like $400,000 playing poker. That wow. Year. I've never made that much doing stand-up, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's wow. awesome. Yeah, but I don't do that every year, but that was a great year. You well, play? Do you play in the World Series every year? Yeah, in that year, 2018, I actually finished in 28th place in the main event wow. of 8,500 wow. players. Yeah. That's awesome. And I've actually been in the top 100 twice now uh, in the... 13 or 14 times that I've played the, the main event. That's really cool. But what's really funny about it is those are the only two caches I have. Like, I either bust out early or I go really, really far and almost make the final table. Yeah. Well, a, do, you, are you, do you think you're, you're taking much bigger risks early yeah. on? Just you figure, fuck it, let's just go for it early and yeah. bust that up. Now, Rayon's more of a ham and egg or poker player. He's not, he's, I'm sure he's good, <laughs> but it doesn't sound like he's quite a good I'm not level. Clayton good. That's, I mean, that's <laughs> impressive. And Coming twenty eighth in the World Series is a big deal. Now, now, just you know, you hear a lot about like uh, poker is a game of skill. It's not gambling per se because there's skill involved. How how true is that? Yeah, it's very true in the long term. Okay, mm -hmm. like over the course of a year, like I've never had a losing year in poker. I've been playing poker professionally for 17, 18 years now. I've never had a whole year where I lost, but I certainly had a day or a week or even a month where things didn't go my way. So it's in the short term, luck is very important. In the long term it doesn't matter at all and uh and and the base and the skill what, what are the skills for what makes a great poker player well number one you have to understand the mathematics of the game nowadays so many players are using you know artificial intelligence and solvers what we call solvers where they kind of tell you what the uh, theoretically correct decision is at any given point in a poker hand so if you don't have that stuff kind of memorized and you haven't done your homework you're you're not going to win at the high stakes nowadays. You have no chance at the you know at the very high stakes where they're playing for literally millions of dollars. That's not going to work. But uh, in the in the lower stakes, that's less important. And what becomes more important is just kind of figuring out who's lying and who's telling the truth. Reading people's body language, maybe using your LOL skills to get them laughing a little bit so that you can loosen them up and maybe get them to reveal some information about well, them. With due respect, we've moved off the book. I'm sorry. Uh, I just turned that upside <laughs> down now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but uh, uh, Clayton, uh, if we can get in our time machine and move back to the 90s to a movie called Rounders. Yeah. Which was, um, I enjoyed it. I mean, maybe a poker player would have thought it was ridiculous. Th there's a scene where um, Matt Damon figures out that John Malkovich, every time he's got a losing hand, he he, he, he takes an Oreo and he splits His it tell was that he, he would, like, listen to an Oreo cookie. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is one of my uh, all-time favorite movies. Well, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being complete horseshit and 1 being... No, no, 10 should be complete reality and 1 being complete horseshit. Where would you put that I mean, element of, of the movie? I mean, w with all due respect to Brian Koppelman, you know, my well, friend and the, and the oh, screenwriter. Yeah, I don't want to say anything. But he even would admit today that that is a uh, Hollywood 
you know, device. But there are things that people do. I'll give you guys an example. Um, you know, an amateur player is going to stare at the flop, which is when they deal three cards face up all at once, and that really tells you how strong of a hand you have mm -hmm. in all likelihood for the rest of the hand. So when that flop comes out, I don't watch it. I watch the amateurs at my, at my table, and I get reactions. They don't realize they're being watched because mm -hmm. they're so eager to see what those three cards are. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at the flop, and I'm looking at them. And most amateurs, if they have nothing... They're just going to stare at it and try to figure out how the hell can I create oh, okay. a winner out of this hand. But say you have like two fives in your hand, and now a third five comes on the flop. It's that's almost a good like, hand. You have three of a kind, and it's almost like looking at the sun. They're going to look away and try to you know play it cool and like you know I'm not I'm not looking at that. That's not oh, yeah. okay. Interesting. So you, know, you I pick up on little mannerisms, things like that, or you know breathing patterns. And, you know, especially if I can get a baseline for somebody, like we're just having a casual conversation, maybe while they're de dealing the cards. Hey, where are you from? Oh, yeah. How long have you been playing poker? Stuff like that. Just kind of like being casual, like, almost like doing crowd work or whatever. Right. Well, now when the you know, when the millions are on the line, I'm going to have an advantage because I've learned what your baseline looks like. And hopefully I've paid enough attention to you in the last seven, eight, ten hours we've been playing that I now know what you're like when you have it and when you don't. It won't be as simple as just like chomping on an Oreo cookie if you're bluffing, <laughs> but a lot of players do have certain things you can look for. But those are the amateurs. What about some of the professional tells that you've come across in, right. in your career? Right. So most of us that have played for a long time and we've done well, we've learned how to hide our tells. And my secret is I know what my tells are, right? So, for example, if one of my tells happens to be that I stare at the flop when I don't have anything, sometimes before the flop even comes out when the dealer's getting the cards ready— I say to myself, no matter what it is, I'm going to stare at it. And what that'll do for me is I don't have to, like, do something that's unnatural for me. I just intentionally do that same thing at other times so that even if you are studying the hell out of me, the information you're getting is not going to be useful to you at all. Now, Ray, when you play, it's just like, you, you don't, do you do any of this shit? Uh, you know, I just look to see what snacks are available in the casino <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe chat up the waitress, uh, say hey to her. Order another drink. Uh, yeah, yeah, say something cute, like, she says, you need anything? I go, yeah, better cards, you know, something like that. Uh, no, I, I, a lot of what Clayton is saying, uh, yes, I do as well. I mean, he's a far superior player than I. And I don't play, I used to play a lot more. What's interesting is I play in a game here in New York with because uh, Brian Koppelman did Rounders and he also did the show Billions that Billions. just wrapped up. Yep. Yes. And I play in a game with a bunch of the actors from Billions. No one plays at the same skill level that Clayton is describing. I can't but get it's invited. a fun game. I, I can't get invited to that game. Now, I keep now, trying. You would not be invited. <laughs> yeah. You would not be allowed <laughs> near the building. Now, now uh, this is a question for both you and Ray because you brought up celebrities. But this can apply to anybody with, with a big net worth. How does that if if you're if you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, th this game doesn't really mean anything to you in terms of your money. Does that affect uh, how you're going to react? You know, somebody that's fucking broke, you know, they're they're, they're nervous. It, it, it's it's important. This is a huge thing that we do at the table. Like as soon as somebody sits down, I try to evaluate. You know, is this player like a satellite winner? So a satellite is a small stakes tournament where the prize is a buy-in to the larger stakes tournament. And so especially like a big tournament like the World Series main event, there are going to be a lot of satellite winners in there. And for those players, just cashing, it's a $10,000 buy-in. Maybe they got in for like 100 bucks or 1000 bucks even. So if they cash in that tournament, their ROI is going to be huge. I'm sorry. Use the, well, you know, I warned I'm sorry, you about I, Sorry about that. <laughs> I apologize. So their uh, return for their whatever their buy-in was is going to be um, you know, very significant to them. Like for me, I spend the 10000 to play. So if I min minimum cash, like barely squeak into the money, I'm only going to win like $5,000 profit. 
But if I had gotten in for $1,000, then the profit would be 14000 So you kind of try to figure out who the satellite winners are, who the professionals are, who has a large bankroll. And, and this can come down to, you know, what country they're from, what kind of watch they're wearing. Like you look for any sign that you can possibly find to get an advantage. So somebody that has a real lot of money, that the money's not an issue, how, how, how does that affect their psychology? Really, you don't want to bluff that guy. You know, he's so likely to call because he just doesn't care. The money means nothing to him. You know, but somebody that's like really sweating it out, like looking at the clock, like how many more players until we're in the money? I want to get my minimum cash, $15,000. You know, a player like that is way more bluffable because, you know, it, they're just sweating it out. And you never, and you don't feel bad about raping these people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's part of the game. You know, you have to, you have to take any edge you can because the object of the game is to get all the chips. So you, there's no room for like sympathy or, or being, you know, doesn't a annoy, nice guy. Doesn't always annoy you when I, you know, I play in game, even a home game. And somebody will win a huge pot, and they'll turn, and, they, and they're being sincere, but they go, nah, I'm sorry. It's like, shut up. Uh, you're not, not sorry. <laughs> if you're sorry, give the money yeah, back. Exactly. <laughs> it happens well, all the time. Sorry, well, man. Now, uh, I want to talk about something I've had this argument with. It's not even an argument, because he's completely wrong. And it, it, you're talking about blackjack. I'm talking about blackjack. Okay. Do you Ray, play blackjack, Clayton? Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with blackjack. Bla yeah. Ray Allen thinks that the, uh, if the other player doesn't play correctly, that hurts him. And so he'll get angry if another player hits when he should have not hit or, or, or you know, well, doesn't but, hit when he should hit. But let's be clear. Yeah. Let's be clear, and Daniel. Yeah. And that is, if you are paying attention to the cards that are coming out, another player can make the wrong move. Yeah, they can make the wrong move for him. No, no, no. But it no, doesn't no. affect you. If there are, there are a certain number of, of tens or aces that are remaining in the deck, then if you're paying attention to these things, then there's a time that... You should not hit your hand. Yeah, that, he right. That it, and that could affect. But that, it affects you. But it could affect you equally. It's equally as likely to help you as to hurt you. Math, math, the mathematics have been done over and over and over again. Clayton, <laughs> Clayton <laughs> do not agree. If you're tracking all the tens and the aces that are coming out of a out of a shoe, uh, yeah. There's there's times you, you, there's certain hands you shouldn't hit. So and no one should. Yes, hit. but but that doesn't mean that it affects you. If the player next to you is hitting when he shouldn't. That could help you or it could hurt you. If, all right. If, let, me, let me just no, settle, this Clayton, would you settle this once and for all. I'll this settle guy. this once and for all. I have two points to make. Number one, Ray, I would really like to come to Aruba sometime and perform at your club there. Okay. <laughs> Number two, Dan's absolutely right. <laughs> You're right, Dan. You're Thank right. You. you know, I, I don't want to just like, you know, I know he's got a club in Aruba. I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, right. He's not. The, if Dan takes a card when he shouldn't, uh -huh. it has just as much of a chance of hurting you as it does of helping you. Except if the if the if the decks are still uh, rich full of tens, plush full of tens. Okay, so you're okay. counting cards while you're playing. And if the dealer has, let's say, a six showing, Ray, are you counting cards? No, no. Okay. But <laughs> the dealer has a six showing, and Dan has a thirteen. Right, he should stay. He should stand. But if he, he hits, did, he takes a ten. But the dealer turns over his hand. Dealer has a sixteen. That would have been the dealer's ten. And and the, remember, the decks are flush. Full of tens. This is human nature. Okay. Are you open to the possibility of being wrong? <laughs> sure. Okay. I just no, no, because maybe like decided yeah. like this is it and that's it. Right. And but then, like if it's completely the wrong move though for a player to hit. Uh, that's a that's, that doesn't six. sound right. like what the question. That's is, not though. the question. Basic strategy: you don't hit a thirteen with a six showing. Yeah, Every, everybody should know that. And yeah. when they do that, if it's the ten the dealer would have gotten, it can upset you. But if they do that and it's a two. That prevents the dealer from making an the 18, from making 18 mm. then that can help you. And the, these things happen 
just as frequently. But, statist- but statistically, mathematically, Ray is clinging to this like a like a Trump voter clinging <laughs> clinging to the fact that they think he won the, the election. Trump Build voters, that wall. Trump voters are very good blackjack players. <laughs> you should I, be you should be happy to be wrong because it gives you like less to be annoyed about when you're playing blackjack. Well, in that situation, in that scenario, I would be thrilled. Okay, if, well, if Dan hit and had got a two, and the dealer then busted with a twenty six. But, but even if you don't believe Dan, why would you? It sounds like Clayton knows what he's talking I about. I like listening to Clayton talk about poker. <laughs> and, and, uh, well, I'm glad. I hope, Ray, that you can finally. But this just shows you confirmation bias at work. You know, Ray will rant about the, you know, these idiots that believe that, you know, the, 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 that 9-11's a, the government conspiracy. But he's believing something equally as absurd. Well, it's human nature <laughs> to try to uh, protect yourself from bad things, right? It's like losing hurts more than winning feels good. Right, so he remembers oh. all the yeah. time somebody it took. Does? Yeah, yeah, it he, does. It hurts a lot more. Like when you feel good, when you win, you feel good. You're like, wow, that was great. I had a great day. But you know, when you bust out of the main event, that's like the worst day of the year. You know, it's just it's although, painful. Although you know, it's interesting. I probably do remember better. Let's say great relationships that I've had with women, as opposed to the ones who had totally like broke broke my heart or dumped me. So that's the reverse of of what we're talking about. Yeah, I guess I never thought about that, but uh, now that you But some people it, might me too. find it more memorable to remember how they got dumped versus when they felt good. With I them. remember a time Ray flipped out on this Italian dude in Aruba. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear the Italian dude. I in Aruba. remember like cuz he didn't do the, he did, I don't either he came he didn't into really the speak middle, English. He came into the middle of a sh- he did something Ray didn't like. Yeah. That, you know that superstitious Ray, yeah. you know, he came in in the middle of his shoe, or he, he Ray was on a streak, and the guy, I don't know what he did, he coughed. And, what, you know these gamblers with their ridiculous <laughs> su- superstitions. The, the blackjack players are probably the most superstitious of all. You know, don't sit on my left in the really? middle of the shoe, and don't do this. And, you know, why did you hit that 13 when the dealer had to think? You know, it's all this superstition. It actually doesn't affect the odds of you winning this hand or not. It just doesn't. But because we're so, we remember the times when the guy hit his stupid 13 and it ruined everything for everybody. The dealer would have busted if this stupid Italian jerk just wouldn't have hit the 13. Right, you remember See, Clayton that. knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. He, he, kn- he, knows, he knows about your, your confirmation bias. That's what it is. Yeah. And it, it sounds like that poker players are the intellectuals, the intelligentsia well, of the gambling community. And, well, then and, and that's the problem, by the way, why I started playing less poker is because I started... I used to play it every night, yeah. And then I just started to get more and more impatient because you get tired of not having cards to play. Yeah, and I'm just like, eh. one of the key skills of poker is like Patience. waiting. You yeah. got you got to wait for the right spot. You know, you, you if you're going to make your move, you got to make your move at the right time. It's so important. And for some people that are used to games like you know craps or blackjack, where you kind of get an outcome like every ten seconds yeah. or whatever, you know, they're not they're not patient enough to like just chill and be like, well, I, if if the strategy is to fold literally everything for the next hour unless i have like a, a tremendously powerful hand then i'm going to be able to do that not everyone is actually capable of doing it. yeah there's one guy we played and like he was like a semi semi pro poker player in, in a home game and i'm say over the course of we played for seven hours he he played three hands and it was it was impressive just to see that. He just to three see hands. all that folding. He won yeah. two of the three. Yeah. yeah. Like but does it, if somebody just it's not a fun night if to me, it's not fun. But. Always folds unless they have an amazing hand. Isn't that a, a tell of sorts? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you've been paying attention to your opponents, um, you will notice that one of them is a 93 year old lady who only plays when she gets dealt pocket aces, which is the best starting hand. And so when she opens for a raise. I mean, I, I would probably fold my pocket kings in that situation. But, you know, that's an extreme example, obviously. But, yeah, if you pay attention to your opponents, you start to get 
I sort of take notes in my mind, like, well, this guy, when he, when he bets really small, he's trying to get us to raise because he's got a really strong hand. Or this guy, like, if he says a number before he puts the chips in the middle, like, you can either bet the chips or you can say, like, 500 and then put in 500. And maybe one means one thing, but when he does it the other way, it means something else. I'm taking all these mental notes. And then the crazy thing about tournaments is once you got the whole table figured out, they'll come and grab you and say, okay, Clayton, we have to move you to another table because yeah. this other table just broke. And so you have, and then you have to do it all over again. <laughs> a whole new yeah. table. Well, it's very well, and, and by the way, that guy that I mentioned who played three hands in seven hours, he could have been bluffing on, on some of his hands. I, you know, we didn't necessarily see his, his see what cards he had. Well, if you want to bluff, a good strategy is to fold everything for three hours first. Mm. And then right. when you bluff, people are going to be like, oh, wow, he must really have it now. Do yeah, you, sure. do you count when you do play blackjack? Yeah. So if you, if you're going to play blackjack, the only way to make money in the long run is to be a card counter. And there's a lot of websites and stuff. You can Google like how to learn how to count cards. You don't actually have to know exactly how many tens are left in the deck, how many aces and how many low cards. But you're you're kind of uh, you're you're sort of estimating based on how much the deck has gone and, and all that stuff, and it's it's a lot of work. It does take to me the fun out of playing blackjack. I mean, blackjack's kind of like a carnival game, right? I mean, it's like you know which way is it going to go? And then if you're counting cards, you're only able to get maybe like a one point five percent advantage. And if you play perfect basic strategy, the casino has about a 2% advantage. So you're flipping the, the advantage to slightly in the in your favor when it used to be slightly in the house's favor. But honestly, if you play blackjack all day, if you don't keep increasing your bets, you're probably going to be able to make your money last a while. It's not the worst game to play. That would be keno or slots. But they, they do kick you out of the casino eventually if they think you're counting. You know, they they, have the yeah, I mean, they have the right to refuse service, just like here at the Comedy Cellar. They have the right to refuse service for people for the, any reason. The, it's a private concern. Yeah, yeah, it's a private concern. <laughs> so they don't even have to tell you why you're being what we call backed off if you're a card counter. But, yeah, I know plenty of card counters out there who – you know, do it regularly. They don't play for that much money and they don't get, you know, they don't get in trouble. It's really like these MIT blackjack teams like they write books about. Th that's oh, yeah. where, yeah, bring yeah, it down Kevin the house. Yeah, well, yeah. By the way, did I mention, cards. did I mention Gnome's not here? He's, I, I don't know if I mentioned that, but Gnome's not here. Um, <laughs> yeah, you normally I say at the top of the episode, if Gnome's yeah, not yeah, here, I say, yeah. Gnome's not here. I guess everybody's, well, if you're seeing us on YouTube, you figured it out. If you're listening to us on the radio, you probably also you probably figured, out. figured out that Noam is not here. <laughs> you very did pleasant say who is here. Pardon? It's a very pleasant conversation. <laughs> what, today. I hope you're not. Uh, you don't feel insulted. Noam had some. He's he's doing uh, two other podcasts today. One with us and Alan Dershowitz, um, and one with somebody else. Somebody else. Well, he also, no, he didn't he want to do three pies. A lot of pies. And he had a tea oh, party. And also, he doesn't like Ray. Uh, <laughs> and he had a tea party. Yeah, to Can you blame him? Yeah, and he, and he has kids that he he. he uh, so I, um, wait, wait. Why can't you count cards? How come you're not allowed to? And how would somebody well, know you're counting cards? Well, oh, that's a good question, Perry. Yeah, thank you, Dan. So the big key to knowing that someone's counting cards, like say somebody's betting like ten dollars a hand for like forty five minutes, and now the deck is almost to the end where they're going to have to reshuffle, and all of a sudden that same player who's been betting ten dollars, ten dollars, now all of a sudden he bets five hundred. That's an indication. But how do you know he's counting properly? Does it, the house has to count with him, right? Otherwise, the house doesn't know whether or not he's counting properly. Yeah, the house has security and surveillance, and they always know the count. So if they see that when the count got good, all of a sudden this player increased his bet by five thousand percent, that's a sure sign that something's up. Now, if it just but happens, can't you once, just see that the deck is like has like almost nothing left in it that you wouldn't necessarily have to be counting? Right. Well, you can see how many cards are left, but you don't know how many tens, aces, twos, Ten. threes, and fours. Yeah, let me learn you something. Yeah. 
thing. Now, in, in, in blackjack, the tens, the more tens favor the players, the less tens favor the house. That's right. Good, Dan. So if you're counting cards and you you, you and you, they've dealt like all, you know, very few tens have come out, you know that there's a relatively high number of tens left. That favors the player. Therefore, you might increase your bet if you were counting. Now, there, was, there was a guy, I was once in a casino, and a guy, he knew that I was a comic, so he wanted to sit with me. But he said to me, he goes, look, I might do some stuff you think is weird. Don't say anything. I said, okay. So he, he, he played <laughs> finger raise asshole. Yeah, <laughs> you know, kind of weird. Yeah. I said it's kind of weird, but you know, but I'm, but I, I got a nice stack of chips. It's okay. Uh, so the guy, he's playing three hands. I'm playing one, uh, and he got the he got them to, to raise the min- the max bet from five hundred to a thousand. So it's a twenty five minimum, thousand maximum. So he's playing three hands. He's betting twenty five a hand, and at certain times he popped it up to a thousand a hand. At some points he split tens. Once in a blue moon, he took insurance, which, you know, typically, you know. These are all things we normally would never right, do. Right, you would never do. And the whole time, he was chatting. He was talking to the dealer, talking to the waiters, talking to the manager. He had this great patter going the whole time. It was, it was really a Rain Man situation. So I followed everything he did. I just followed what he did. He walked out, and under an hour, he had about 38000 I made 11000 and we both left. And it was obvious what he did. Yeah, I'm and, sure that. And they should have fired everybody who was working that night for even letting him bounce it up to a thousand bucks. Yeah, max bet. Yeah, but it was incredible but did he, but, to but, watch. But 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 it was did, absolutely. Did counted. his winning in some indirect way make the casino more money because people were coming over to the table? They nah, think, oh, that, slow the that cards night. are hot. I'm going to get in on this, and they're losing, but he's winning. I don't know. It was slow that night. They 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 lost forty nine thousand dollars <laughs> between the two of us. They also had been fired. <laughs> but yeah, it was great yeah. to watch. It was actually incredible to watch. Yeah, to well, see somebody uh, talking like boom, 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 and tracking all the cards. It was great. It's funny. People that don't really know that much about gambling will often ask poker players blackjack questions. You know, because maybe they've seen like the the movie Kevin Spacey movie mm-hmm. or whatever. But you know, they're totally different games, of course. Yeah. And the biggest difference is that I don't play against the casino. I play against the other humans. Yeah, yeah. you know, in the in the in the room. Yeah. And so, and many times we'll know each other. You know, I have a poker podcast. It's called Tournament Poker Edge. And so a lot of people know me from that because, you know, I'm like the comedian who plays poker. Everybody but, knows that. I mean, as side hustles go, that's the best one I've heard. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Like, a lot of times my side hustle makes me more than my hustle, you know. But, you know, it, a lot of times comedians get into trouble after the show, right? Like they, they do drugs, they drink too much, they cheat on their wives, whatever. All I'm trying to do when the when the show is over is uh, how far away is the nearest casino and, you know, what kind of game do they have tonight? So it kind of, in a weird way, going to the casino to all hours of the night keeps me off the streets and out of trouble. <laughs> sure. Do, do you uh, still enjoy it or is it a job? Because you, you really, you can't just, you know, as you said it with Blackjack, counting cards takes the fun out of Blackjack because you're, you're, it's like work. Yeah. Do you find that with poker as well? Because you're paying attention. Who's, who's doing what? Paying attention to everybody's tell. This is a lot of work. Yeah. Does that take all the fun out of it? I mean, in a sense, it 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 should, but it just doesn't, Dan. Because for me, like it, it's like comedy. Like I've never gotten tired. I've been doing comedy for 22 years. I've never gotten tired of doing comedy. It is, you know, in one way, it's the same every night. But the more you learn about comedy, the more fun it is to do each and every night. So it's it, because I keep learning more and more about poker. I, I look forward to playing and applying the new skills that I'm acquiring. So. Also, that's part of the game. Like, if you're a great tennis player, you're going to work on your backhand, right? So if he's if you're a really good poker player, you know, you, you're picking up tells and, and you're incre- increasing your skill. Right, but, I, but I'm... Right, but to, to, 
to to stay with the tennis analogy, you know, a game just hitting the ball with a friend might be a lot more fun than playing at the U.S. Open, where it's your job. Well, but and, if you but if, but if you have a certain skill level of tennis, like just say you and I are just hitting it back and forth a little bit, but let's say we both are really good, like, and so that's more fun for us to touch tap into our great skills. So he's tapping into his you know his skills because not everybody can do the math. You know, and not everybody can can read people. Yeah, I love the game. I love the game. I will always love the game. I, I probably never quit comedy or poker for the rest of my life because I just love them both so much. Well, you know, you'll, it's, you know what's interesting? There was time, and you've done this with me in Aruba, but there's other, when we're in Aruba and hanging out with a bunch of comics, and there's certain weeks where, just for whatever reason, with travel days, you have a lot of comics there at one time. Typically, it's me plus two people, but there's a lot of people. So we'd all, like, kind of took over a blackjack table, and a lot of people didn't really know how to play. But I remember it was like... I don't remember exactly. It was Adrian Appalucci and I think Leonard Utz and Nimesh Patel, Pete Lee maybe. And it was really fun, but they would just say, you know, hey, what do I do? And I would just kind of tell them the right the right move. Except Leonard Utz, <laughs> he, the dealer had a six. Leonard has a 17. That is a no-brainer. That's a stand. stand yeah. But Leonard's like, he's kind of looking the dealer up and down. He's like, mm, what do you, what do you, what do you, if I hit, what are you going to give me? And Gary Vito's like, Leonard, stay, just stay. <laughs> Leonard hits. He gets a four. So now he has a 21, which is the best hand. And everybody's like, you know, what the, what the, fuck, what the fuck are you doing? You well, know? the luck of the Utes. Yeah, luck of the Utes. <laughs> and then, of course, the dealer turns over his hand. The four would have, whatever, four would have given him, you know, it would have been a 13 and a bust. So Leonard won, and everybody else got fucked at the table. <laughs> but uh, he didn't seem to get. was every lit. blackjack story ever. This is yeah. how they all go, because it's like, if he wouldn't like have done that, he, right, but he remembers it. Yeah. Sure. So what's Leonard Utes. What did you do with the, What did you do with the 400K? Yeah, so... Um, I blew it all playing poker. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> no, I still have a lot of that money, you know, and it's in my bankroll now. I took some of it and invested in my, you know, in my career and my in my life and everything. But yeah, I kept, um, you know, a good fifty percent of it as it kind of became my new bankroll, and so then I can play higher and hopefully win more money and you know maybe get. Well, speaking the, of uh, investments, and this is my deft and agile way to shift the focus of the conversation. Ray has an investment opportunity that you cannot afford to ignore. Okay. Ray is producing a movie, and as we all know, there's no better investment than an independent movie. Of course. Everyone knows that. Everybody yeah. knows that. Forget forget gold. No. Forget stocks. Bitcoin, forget it. Forget it all. Independent films. Sure. Ray, is, Ray is a big producer. Ray wears many hats. He's literally got a Ruba Ray hat on now, but he's also a comic. He's a he's a producer. Ray, tell us about the movie that you're producing. Just to, just to go back a little, it, yes, it can be risky. But I made the I made produced and directed the movie Latin Legends of Comedy several years ago, and I put it all on credit cards, and that did well. Like it made some money. Like I sold it to 20th Century Fox, and I was very it's fortunate. A stand-up comedy so. movie stand-up in comedy. the vein of the Latin in the vein of a. Uh, the, the, kings uh, the kings of comedy. The same thing. The three Latin Same thing comedians. except with Latin comedy. Anyway, but tell us about so there was that. the current project. The current project please. is called Misfit. So my friend Gibson Frazier, who who you've met before, Gibson, uh, we've collaborated on He's a terrific actor. He made a movie called uh, Man of the Century, which was the, it won the audience award at Slamdance when, when that came out. Uh, and it's that's a really fun film. So he's a terrific actor and writer. So he wrote this film, and it's about, uh, it's a coming-of-age comedy about a 13-year-old boy who 
uh, finds the power in his dreams to overcome the obstacles of, of eighth grade. So it's a really great story for adolescents. And Gary Goldman says, Ray Allen is an amazing comic and there's no... <laughs> and teacher. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyhow, go ahead. So it's, a, it's really... The, I thought the story was really good and I, th- I really liked the script a lot. So we were trying to raise money and, and that could be very tedious. And finally, and this is going on for a couple of years, uh, sort of half-assed, but you know, it was going on. And also during the pandemic. Finally, I said to Gibson, I said, look, let's just pick a, a date. Let's just pick a shoot date and let's do it. You know, he wanted a film at the school he went to in Pennsylvania and they were sort of like, they were cool with it, but, uh, we just need to lock in a date. I said, let's set it all up. Let's get the crew and we'll figure out the money. But you got Clayton here. You still need some money to finish the film. I'm putting you and Clayton together. Cause I know this is going to, that, that he's going to be more than thrilled. Well, you're a great, you're a great <laughs> matchmaker. The, uh, no. So, so the film we, we, we shot already most of the movie. We have two days less left to shoot. And the cast is great, by the way. Anthony Rapp is in it. He was the original cast of Rent. He's uh, a poker player, too. Yeah, we, that's yeah. how we met. Oh, we no met way. Playing, See that? We Poker's met, I, the new golf. This is how people become friends. It really is. We met, I was doing stand-up in Louisville, and, Anth- and Anthony was singing. And, and he looked familiar. I didn't know how I knew him. I thought he was a comic. He goes, no, I'm in this show called Rent. And I didn't really know what that was either at the time. Right. And he was, it's huge. Like, if we, like people in the theater world, like, go nuts when they meet him. Like, it's, it's, anyway, how much do you need to finish this movie, Ray? So, <laughs> Dan's making a deal here. So, we have like two more, two more, uh, shoot days. We really need like altogether 50,000 more. But, um, which, and we have people who've already kind of, you know, pledged, pledged money. So, you don't want to invest in it, Dan? I, I, uh, no, no, I don't, because, uh, <laughs> Dan's not a big, he's not a big risk taker. Well, I, 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 I just don't know that indie films, I was being sarcastic before yeah. that, you know, it's, 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 it's a risk. It's a risk. It's absolutely a risk. Here's why I feel okay with this risk. And obviously I put up some of my own money into the film. Well, you're the producer. Yeah. A producer. So what does that mean again? If you're, well, in this case, it means Ray wrote a check, okay, <laughs> or a Venmo or whatever, however he did. Yeah. Well, you're also facilitating the production of the, of the movie as well. Uh, but it, what's interesting is that I feel good based on the budget of the film and the subject matter and the people I'm working with. I feel confident that it'll be a great movie. And I think financially it'll, it'll reap some. Clayton, any reward. thoughts? Any so. thoughts? You, you heard the pitch? I mean, it's a solid pitch. Uh, send me a prospectus. I'll have my venture capitalist friends take a look at it. <laughs> Maybe we'll, um, you know, strike a deal. I can get. And, and also, the other thing that's interesting is like, so I have a buddy of mine who's a lawyer, and like, he just kind of loves showbiz, and he's like, "Oh, great, yeah, I'm in. I'm in for fifteen grand." I'm like, "Okay, great." And then you have other people that are like, "No, nah, I would never do that," but they bought a racehorse. Like they're right. into that. That's a much better investment, right? I, I mean, well, if it's a good horse. Well, I mean, look how. The odds of you picking a horse that's ever going to make any money, I mean, almost all racehorses lose money. I think... Well, what if this invest- is a really fast horse? I- I'm sure it is, but I'm... I'm, I'm getting- the horse could break a leg. You need a good trainer. It needs uh, to be taken care of. You're not taking care of the horse. Things go south. Yeah. Real, yeah, horses are expensive. Hardly any of them make money. If I had to choose to put 50000 into a horse or to an independent film about a 13-year-old boy, you know... We're going to we're going to eighth grade right away. Um, or a movie, a movie but, but Ray, about, do, about buying horses. What's um, that? <laughs> so were I to put in ten thousand, uh-huh. um, what would that uh, that would get me a percentage of the profits? Obviously, sure. but um, are there your... any are there any starlets that I could bed? Well, Dan, isn't that the whole the, point? Most, of, most the whole... of the cast is under eighteen, so you might want to retract. Well, you said most of the cast. Most that? of the cast. Well, <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. I believe uh, that uh, Marissa Ryan is married. I don't know any. She's I a great actress. Um, yeah. Are you in the film? This is a very tiny role. 
because I thought Timey. I thought I heard you know movie about middle school. Uh -huh. I heard I thought Rihanna. I thought creepy gym teacher, right? Ah, I mean, it absolutely. leaps to mind. Damn. Yeah, I'm not Mr. Morales. He posted it. I posted that on <laughs> Facebook and he deleted it. Really? Did I delete it? Yeah, I I, I can't find it. That's true. I don't think I deleted that. Delete your post. No, I, I'm saying he posted about the movie, and I said, and "Hey, that Ray, oh. Ray should play the creepy gym teacher." <laughs> and then I went back, and I didn't see my comment. That's weird. I didn't delete it. I didn't even read it. Okay. Yeah, that was actually. You uh, don't have to read it. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go read it. You, you know, know you Facebook can... has really ruined the high school reunion. Yes, yeah, thank yeah. you. From for yeah. Um, is it take place in the what, what decade does it take place? Is it an '80s thing? A little retro? Present day. A present. We day. did get permission from the estate of David Bowie to because uh, Gibson. And the director's a huge Bowie fan, as, as am I, but he's like a crazy Bowie fan. And uh, we're allowed to use some of the music, and we can use some of uh, David Bowie imagery in like the kids' room, which is actually pretty cool. I mean, that it's, is cool. It's, it's neat. Well, so the total budget is how much? Like 250 which is nothing okay. for a film. So how, how would a film like this. How does it make money? Make money. I'll give you a hypo yeah. hypothetical. Because the theaters, right? It's not going to probably get in many theaters. Nowadays, almost nothing. Nowadays, nothing gets in the theaters. Festivals. It's about festivals. Yeah, festivals, and you sell it, maybe you sell it to a streamer. Um, but you maybe do a very limited release in, in the theater so it's eligible to win awards and all that stuff and creates more buzz and the or PR. they throw it on Netflix Net does Netflix pay for shit or how to sometimes you know. I was just talking to a comic the, the other day and he said you know he gave his uh, his special to Netflix for next to nothing he just wants yeah. it to be on Netflix but they can also pick and choose whether they want something from a comic right so let's just say hypothetically you know, you sell the movie for more than what you make. You put in fifty thousand dollars. You get your money back plus twenty percent. You get back your fifty thousand plus twenty percent, so that would be another ten thousand on top of it, right? So once everybody has recouped what they put in, then there's a, a pool of money that you then will split based on what your investment was. You know, for whatever additional profits are. So the movie is sold for a million dollars. The budget was two fifty. Okay, great. Everybody gets back the first money plus twenty percent, and then that remaining pool gets split up accordingly. So it's pretty straightforward. Just the question is, can you sell the movie? Well, I feel good about I, this. I, I don't know the, that market. You know. Yeah. Um, What's it called? Misfit. Misfit. Yeah. That's actually the name of Gary. I mean, that's Gary Goldman's new book, right? Gary Goldman's new book, Misfit. Misfit. The reason he didn't read my book, the he only was reason, too busy. He was so busy own. writing and promoting his own book. Gary Goldman's new book. Yeah, it's not that new anymore, but it's about it's a memoir. It's not a novel. Was it really called Misfit? Yeah, it's I about growing up as a misfit in no in, in, in Boston. I you know? did not know that. You know that Gary just he could never fit in. Yeah, yeah. I well, um, <laughs> I had no clue. Yeah, yeah, it is. So Gibson named the movie. Okay, uh, did I like the title. Well, I'll think. I'd have to read the script first. Of course. Sure, um, but. Um, we're, we're basically done. I'm not, I'm not terrible. If I was worried about raising the rest of the money, we'd be a problem because we still have just two more days of shooting. But we've been edited, you know, did a rough cut of all the other footage, and it looks good. No, Dan knows that. He just wanted to put me in an awkward position. <laughs> That's what he <laughs> likes to do. Well, if uh, Noam was here, it would have been really awkward. Extra awkward. Yeah. Well, Noam would not put money into a film. I, I no, probably not. No. He's a smart businessman, for sure. <laughs> um... So Aruba Ray, they call him Aruba Ray, as I said, because he is in Aruba. Yeah, we're kicking off the next season, November 28th to April 4th. Uh, 36 different comedians. Uh, everyone's terrific. Everybody has real credits. Everybody's very, very funny. Uh, all different types of comics, you know. Uh, and uh, I'm eager to get down there and get out of the cold and get down to Aruba. Arubacomedy.com, if anybody's going to be in the greater Aruba neighborhood. 
And you're coming. To, you're performing. I'll there. be there December. Yes, I'm there. Uh, December, I think, right uh, before Christmas. Third, yeah, third yeah, right. week of December, Dan will be there. I'll be there right, right before. You've been there, I think, nine or ten times now. I think I'm over ten times. Um, and you enjoy. They I call sp- Dan Hot Tub Dan. I, I spent a lot of time in the hot tub. Yeah. Um, and Dan got very mad at me once. We got it. We got into a hot tub, and it was really enjoyable. And I said. I go, you know, Hot Tub Ray, this kind of, that sounds actually pretty good, Hot Tub Ray. And he really got mad. He goes, nah, nah, you're not, yeah. nah, you're Aruba Ray. I'm That's Hot Tub Dan. Yeah. I'll tell you what, you want to be Hot Tub Ray? I'm Aruba Dan. <laughs> he got well, I wasn't so legitimately mad. angry, but, uh, you know. He was steaming in the hot tub. Clayton, what, what, um, now, you know, Clayton, uh, I know, uh, as long as we're making people feel awkward, um, Clayton has, of course, expressed interest in coming down. I give him my wholehearted endorsement. And, I, and as I, you can see, he's a great guy. He's fun to hang out with. A lot of fun to hang out. Hang. Not to sound like a jerk at all. I, we've never worked together. I, I don't know anything about your act at all, and not, not to be rude, because there's a lot of comics I've never seen. I'm a middle child who had to share a birthday. No wonder I'm on stage. Did you know a very high percentage of performers are actually middle children? Yeah, <laughs> Yo. yeah. see how much attention she wants? You see, that proved my point. She's like, I'm as far away from the stage as I could possibly be, but let's make this about me anyway. So that'd be step number one. All right. Well, this has been step number one. Mm-hmm. Because Ray, when booking Aruba... Because it, it's... I it, agonize over it. Well, when booking Aruba, it's not just about can you kill in Aruba, which is basically like a Vegasy kind of, you know... Yeah, mixed crowd, yeah. Crowd, you've got to kind of be clean. Feels more like a road gig. Yeah, a little cleanish. Cleanish. Yeah. It can't be... It's not like the cellar where you could talk about abortion and... No. You know, and... and not and, too and edgy racism, in Aruba yeah. when people yeah. are on vacation. you got to keep right. it right down the no, middle. No, no politics. But also, Ray... Uh, he's gonna hang. He, you're gonna be there with him, so he needs to know that you're somebody he does. He doesn't mind hanging out with. That's that's an element, right? What what, what percentage of of an element is that in your booking decision? It used to be. It used to be a huge element. Uh, used to be. It, it used to be a, a big chunk of it. That was like ninety percent of. It. And then once ninety percent was is whether or not you wanted to hang out. Well, hundred percent you had to kill. Okay. And then ninety okay. percent beyond as that. Well, yeah. okay. Beyond that. Be, yeah. Beyond that. Yeah. Do, is do I also want to hang? <laughs> because I, I was booking so few comedians. It was like the same two or four people all the time. And then once the the club sort of grew and grew, and it started being a lot more people, uh, needing to hang out with people becomes less important because a I have a lot of stuff to do during the day. I'm not always available. And b you know it's. It's like anything. Like we all work with people that we don't necessarily love, but we're coworkers. So I might have somebody come down that like I'm not crazy about, but I generally would like to bring people that I also like as people. It's just much more enjoyable. We have fun. Know. I you know do some comedy and then I can argue with you about blackjack. About blackjack, yeah. sure. Plenty of awesome. casinos in Aruba. <laughs> the fun. nightlife is eating and drinking and Gambling. casinos. Yeah. yeah, and then then of course Aruba Ray's comedy. The number one nightlife activity in Aruba is the comedy club. Of course it is, according to TripAdvisor. Um, what else do they got going on at night in Aruba? Nothing. Well, it's about, Dan, are you are you into attractive women? Are you are you suggesting the uh, the uh, the um, working girls? No, no, I, wasn't <laughs> meant that. I didn't even mean that. Okay. Yes, Dan is what pre- yes prostitution is legal in Aruba. It is. Why are, yeah. aren't we talking about that? Well, we can, but Dan, I just to be clear, I yeah. was talking about going to a place called like Moomba. It's okay. like a, like a bar dance club or the Mill. It's like a bar dance club or. 
at, you know, a bar, just to hang out and maybe mm-hmm. talk to a, a woman. All right. Uh, maybe someone. Oh, I thought show. you meant some of the working girls. No, well, well, where, is are, that... where are the working girls? So there's a red light district. Let sort of. the river run. It's like there's. It's part of the Dutch Kingdom. So there's like a red light. Hey, that was a good reference. Anybody? Okay, no, it was pretty good. That sounds fun. Yeah. Would you Would you want to go down to the red light district just to kind of hang and? Obviously, women so. love to see hookers. But what is this? There's I don't no strip club. This is a thing. Strip clubs are illegal in Aruba. That's odd. Yeah, yeah. but prostitution is legal. I don't know what the thought. Pro- my thought was originally maybe the Dutch really want you to get your money's worth, but um, <laughs> I'm not really sure what what it's about. But it's it's a very interesting scene, and it's mostly women from Colombia and Venezuela who not bad really close to Aruba. Uh, and then you also. Uh, can because some comedians have done this, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Have had present company included. I'm not saying anything. Not not I. But you could get a uh, have somebody come to your hotel room. Mm-hmm. Now you go to the red light district. It's a lot less pricey if you go down the. So red light here's district, the thing: but. I'm always interested in places where prostitution is legal mm-hmm. because I think that prostitution should be legal. Mm-hmm. I think the girls are in a much better and safer. They get tested every week for STDs. Mm-hmm. They have to have a, a permit, like an actual work permit, to come to Aruba. For, it's three months max. Uh, I mean, three months max. They can come for three months to work, and then they have to leave the island if they're coming from another country. Oh wow! And so, can they ever come back? Or yeah, they, can, they can come back. Want? There's some sort of waiting period, I think. The reason I know this is because there's a guy who's actually American, who, for lack of a better word, is a pimp, and that's a legal business there in Aruba. Uh, he has whatever papers you need. And I was walking with Lenny Marcus down the street at night, and all of a sudden I hear... Fresh fish. Yeah, fresh. <laughs> it's great. You like fresh fish? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're walking. Uh, he's walking. A guy, somebody's walking behind us. And all of a sudden we hear, I go, hey, he's a, he's a, has a Boston accent, this guy. And he goes, hey, guys, you looking for a good time? And Lenny was like, you know, what the hell? What the, who, who's behind? And I turned, and I recognized the guy, the this this who, you know, will get you women if you want. And I turned and go... Hey, Rob, uh, no, neither of us are into that. But anyway, this is Lenny. Lenny, and I introduce him, whatever. But uh, what was the point? The point was... Not sure. I don't know what the point was. The point is, it's, it, it is a, 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 an organized business. And yes, to your point, I think the women are much safer and, uh, and healthier. It's a cleaner, safer, healthier thing. And I know about this just because I met that guy. That's what it was. Oh, the, you know what's funny? The, the pimp. He, he came in this pimp. He comes into the casino. I'm playing um, playing uh, 2-5 uh, at one of the casinos. That's and, poker. Poker. And uh, he walks in and I see him. He kind of waves. I go, hey, how you doing? And he starts talking. Blah, 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 and just How are the shows going? And blah, 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 blah. I go, great, man. Good. You're Nice to see you. He walks away and then he yells across the casino. Hey, Ray, buddy, don't forget half price on pussy. <laughs> and I'm like... Well, is, thank you for just giving me the title of this episode. Half price on post. It was so embarrassing. What now? Is this guy like a super shady character, like one would imagine? He less shady than you would imagine, but I wouldn't give him the keys to my house while I'm away from. What I want to know is why is he telling Ray half price on pussy unless he has reason to believe that this would be of interest to her. Well, he likes it like, oh, hey, you, you're Ray. And also to help kind of advertise his wares to everybody else in the casino by yelling that Well, way. Clayton wouldn't be interested in any of that because I believe Clayton is a family man. Of That's right. Are you married? Stand. That's right. Yeah, I have a wife and a daughter. Oh, nice. Yeah. How old's your daughter? She's going to be eight I'm not January. sure I like the tone of that question, Aruba. What are you talking about? <laughs> how old's your daughter? <laughs> is she a when newborn? Aruba Ray a newborn, asked, how old's no, your daughter? I, if it's a newborn, I would have said, oh, congratulations. If she's 18, I would have said, oh, I should talk to Dan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, is your wife a comic? 
Oh no, no, because she doesn't. There's, there's she a doesn't. lot of that going around, you know, comic on comic. Yeah, no, I, comic on comic. I never did that. The uh, female Love. comedians were never attracted to me. You know, I, I never did well with female comedians. I had to find women from the private sector, you know. That was, that was always civilians? my Civilians? Yeah, civilians. Yeah. So what kind of work is she in? Does she uh, do? She's a fashion designer. Okay, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, but that's so creative. Uh, men's, yeah, Men's sure. or women's? Uh, she does both, yeah. Oh. She's in hosiery. Yeah. That's cool. I actually have a pair of socks that she designed on right now. Cool. They are black and they have white skulls on them. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, skulls are big right now this season. Um, yeah, yeah, you got oh. your skulls on your. You're Skull very leggings. much in fashion right now, Periel. I um did not know that men's socks were also referred to as hosiery. Yeah, yeah. I thought hosiery meant pantyhose. No, 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 no it's all too. hosiery. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. We're that. learning Men, a lot. Women, children, okay, yeah, in the business. Yeah, she would be horrified to know I'm talking about her on the radio. By the way, well, you're not. She's the most private person. In well, the we're world. saying very little yeah, about yeah, her. She, well, where where'd you meet her? Now she doesn't play poker. Did I, you meet her in the comedy world? I met my wife at the duplex. So now you that, did. Were so you perform? That's a gay bar. That's yeah, a gay where, bar on yeah. Christopher Street. I'm were the you, only guy who meets his wife in a gay were bar. Were you performing or sucking they somebody off? <laughs> <laughs> well, Can it be both? Why? Because yeah. that'd be one of the other performance of sorts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, but the upstairs. There's yeah. a theater, so I used yeah. to perform there years ago. Like that's where I was. I, I did an open mic. Used to do open mics there every Friday with yeah, Amelia, yeah. Amelia David. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, you know yeah. Amelia David. Yeah, sure. I know Amelia David. Yeah. So. You pay five. You pay like five bucks for a drink or whatever. Yeah, and, and, you, and in exchange for that, you'd get to go on stage for like three minutes. That's right. So yeah. I used to do that every Friday night. But yeah. that was in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you were you weren't around then. No, I started in two thousand one. Okay, yeah. so yeah, yeah, so so you but you were doing a show upstairs. Yeah, and, yeah. And she was in the audience. She was in the audience. She had come to see a friend of hers. Yeah, okay. and uh, I saw her when I was on stage, and I approached her after the show. And I said, so, you know, what'd you think of my comedy? You know, like Mr. Smooth, right? She's like, eh, you were all right. It wasn't that great. And I was hooked, you know, because as comedians, like we seek that approval. You know what I mean? So I was like, I gotta, I gotta, you know, meet this girl. I gotta, I, she was about to leave. I was like, you gotta give me your phone number. Turned out we lived in the same neighborhood. And yeah, I mean, this is, you know, many, many years now. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Did you ever date a, a comic, female comic? Date? No, no, not date. Hook up? I might have done. Is that right? <laughs> I might have done. Anyone we know? Is this anyone? a kiss and tell episode? Any, anyone with oh. a anyone with a, a special on yeah, Amazon or Netflix? Half or? Off episode. Um, no, no, they, they never went anywhere in the business. Hmm. The ones that I'm uh, were they newer comic? Were they sort of open micers that you preyed upon? That sounds right. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> newer, newer. You know, just like a, hey, look, just like the captain of the football team. You know, I mean, yeah. You know, he's, yeah, the thing gets what? It was after gets, the cheerleaders. Gets, gets, oh, the cheerleader! I thought you meant he gets the the rookie uh, kicker. No, no, okay, that could happen, but um, <laughs> I, I haven't, uh, not in a long time. Yeah, uh, I, I, me, me, me neither. I dated. Well, she's made it very public now, but years ago, Lynn Coplitz and I dated. Oh yeah, she went on stage the other night. I was hosting a show here at the cellar, and she was did a set. And at the end of her set. When I, I walked over, she took the mic back from my hand. And on stage, she said, he goes, I just want everyone here to know, Ray and I used to go out for a long time. We used to sleep together. And I've been with a lot of guys. And Ray is definitely in the top three in bed that I've been with. It was, it was complimentary, but it was so embarrassing. So embarrassed that you had to say it on this but podcast. Just yeah, that I had to, re- I had to re- retell it. How great I was. I'm so sad, embarrassed. Well, well, she didn't say you were great. She said you were of the people she's been with. Right, you, you of which good. there are many, Dan. You know, many, many. She could have been that a lot of very geriatric men. She, she doesn't mean you're great. It means among that pool. Correct, yeah. among that pool. Yes. But there's a good sizable pool from what That's she like said. That's like saying I was the best football player at the yeshiva. 
We're at the conservatory. <laughs> I'll tell you, when I, the first time I saw Lynn Coplitz, uh was at the comic strip, and she walked in, and I was just, I, I, I was, could, I, I was just, just breath Stunner. Yeah, Stunning. absolute stunner. Yeah. She, they're she certainly like, attractive comedians. She looked like Cindy Crawford, and she had a little scar on her chin. Tony Woods, very funny comic, Tony Woods, he would say, he called her gangster Cindy Crawford. Because of her scar. She did look a bit like Cindy Crawford. There are certainly a lot of attractive comedians. You know, our, our very own Periel Ashenbrand is a comedian, and not without her charms. Well, thank you. Very good-looking comedian. Um, hope that doesn't sound she's creepy. She's a newer... She's I hope that, now, does that sound creepy when I say yes, Periel is Anything very... out of your mouth sounds creepy. Now, <laughs> she's a very good-looking <laughs> comedian. Is that, that You're not offended by that. No, I'm not offended. It's a compliment. Yeah. Um, but you are a newer comedian. Yes. That, that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, Dan, uh, your hair looks unbelievable. Speaking of good looking, all right. Oh, I guess yeah, we'll we end on that. Speaking we'll of, end on that. We have. We'll we're end, almost out of time. We'll I end on that. But I, Ray recently gave me a birthday present. It was just my birthday in October. He didn't frame it as a birthday present. I did but, not. But I'll, I'll consider this it a birthday so present. So crazy, by the way. I just. I've been resisting. Well, we've talked about it. I've been resisting coloring my hair. I was going quite gray. Probably Very gray. gray, grayer than I even realized because I saw a cartoon version of me and it looked like fucking, uh, you know, uh, it was like we completely... did this great animation. It was hysterical, <laughs> and I send Dan the clip, and I was like, "What do you think?" And he goes, "My hair's not that gray. Why is my hair so gray?" And I'm yeah, like, that is not the takeaway here. But well, that were... that was my takeaaway. Right. But I and uh, I said to Dan, months gray. ago, I think I said, more Dude. gray in that cartoon than it is in reality. Be that as it, it was really gray. It was gray, and Ray said, "You got to color your hair. You look much better." Whatever. And he I was said, re- reluctant. I said, "I'll pay for so it." So Ray volunteered to pay for it. So this is the result. What so a I guy! Sat there, I sat there while dancing the chair, and uh, and oh, I sat next hilarious. to him. I didn't realize that you went. You guys had oh, like I a did. spa day, like well, yeah. no, it was a hair coloring a salon. Day. I just and I was <laughs> the only one getting my hair colored. <laughs> yeah. So this is it. How did you guys not tape any? That is so I have, cute. I do have a little video of Dan oh, getting his hair colored. He's kind of looking at the thing, and the guy George is saying, "Dan, don't worry, it's going to be beautiful. Don't worry." Well, anyway, Clayton, what are you? Oh, did you? Is he gay? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. He's gay. What, what did you think, Clayton? Have you did you notice you who notice everything because that's your job as a poker player? That's yeah, a, I did notice your hair looks darker and you know just more. It looks very natural, totally natural. I was never going to say anything. I think it's rude to say to a man, "Hey, I see you colored your hair." Now that didn't stop Keith Robinson. Well, <laughs> <laughs> very few things can stop oh, you Keith Robinson. Dodge yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you look good, Dan. I like you. Thank you, Clayton. Yeah. Very natural. And you were you were nervous about it at first. Now I, I was only nervous up? because it was. Pardon? Sorry. Go Go ahead. I was only nervous because it had gotten so gray that I knew everybody would notice. It was a, a, a striking difference. Had I start had I started this a couple of years ago when I was less gray, and then it might not have been as noticeable. But and I you was, know how we're it'd be like it if less Dan, noticeable is if Dan didn't talk about it on the air, well, then I'm no one, uh, which is fine, you know. But whatever. No, but, that's not true because Clayton said he noticed. I mean, I think it's better to talk about than to notice and sure. not say anything. But if Dan, if somebody met Dan for the first time, a new a new fan of Dan's performing in in, yeah, Idaho, in Iowa or whatever, well, I'm they never wouldn't in, know. I'm never in Iowa. But, okay, <laughs> you get the point. Have you done it? Again I did do Idaho since? recently, and I bombed. She wants uh, to know. Did you touch it up since? Has, have you? Have uh, you not since. No, it's been. It's last. It was. Uh, it was October twentieth. Um, it was like the nineteenth. It was almost my birthday. Yeah. So it's been. We're but, going on a month. And, wow. and it looks. It's holding steady. 
I'll say. You know, so. A lot of times when I listen to this podcast, everybody's talking about politics. I'm glad we're talking about Dan's hair. Yes. Well, it's, it's better when Noam's topic. here, we talk Well, yeah, when yeah. Noam is here, we talk. We're, the next episode we're doing is with Alan Dershowitz. Oh, yeah. I've heard so him it's, on it's, this it's, podcast It's going to prove to be, a, you uh, know. Very political, yeah. Very political We're discussion. not going to be talking about getting pussy half off. You no, want to be but you know prostitution what? Prostitution in Aruba. You might want to bring that up. <laughs> the third, I think Dershowitz. He doesn't want to talk about pussy, but he. I. I don't think he would mind talking about comedy. No, yeah, he loves like comedy. Well, but 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 no, I'm not won't allow those it. Washes. If you don't yeah. want to spend yeah. money, you, like they have. I'm not, sure for men, you can just like. It's buy not so much a the money as the time. You got to go down. You know, you got to sit in that chair. Yeah. Do it in the Jackie Mason accent, though. Why? It's funny, uh, but why bringing up Jackie Mason? It sounded Ooh. like you were like a little. Oh, was it? You got to sit in the, the chair with the thing. I don't know. I can't just you know. It's got to. It's got to come. You know. I it colors your hair. I can't do around. it on request. It's got to. <laughs> why don't you? But Dan, think about it's it. Clayton Fletcher. <laughs> Dan, you're, I'm glad he does poker because Lord knows he's <laughs> he doesn't make any money in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> but but Dan, if you did it for one hour and it's lasting you a month, that's that's yeah, that's yeah. a great ROI. Yeah, it's a great ROI. Good ROI. And we got some LOLs and it's an ROI for sure. Will you yeah. go with him again? Are you going to pay for it again? Not yes, to pay, for, pay for it for life. However, it's right next door to my apartment building, so I'll happily hang out. Oh, sure. we can, there was a ch- we had some Chinese food afterward. Words. That's right. That was That's quite nice. T- I quite like tasty. that. Nice. So you guys had a nice little date. Yeah, we had Sounds a nice like little you spot. Might be able to do this like once every two months. Yeah, yeah. maybe I would do it every two months. Salon in Szechuan. Um, oh, I like that. Yeah. Is that your new podcast with Dan? <laughs> Yeah, you guys can podcast while Dan's getting his hair colored. Yeah, like well, maybe next time we'll. Such one is amazing. Um, Thank you, Clayton Fletcher. A wonderful discussion. The ROI of LOL available wherever you get your books, which for most people is probably Amazon.com. But oddly enough, they opened up a new Barnes and Nobles on the Upper East. I was shocked. Wow, I live right by there. That's yeah. Oh, you live near there? Eighty eighth and uh, third, I think. Yeah, I actually did a book signing there. Uh, with cool. my co-author, we had a great turnout. Um, yeah, people are. Well, I was it. there. There's no chairs. No, no, it's not no that chairs. kind of Barnes and Noble. This is the kind where you go in, you get your book, you leave. You know what? It might they might have opened it as well. Maybe they're trying to do a bigger online presence. So maybe they opened up the store almost to serve as like a, a billboard. Yeah, it could be buy books, but it's just. A bit I bad. like that there. Are but, and there's no stores. cafe. I mean, I because no. like. Right. I listen though. I'm walking like, around because I'm like, you know, I have to meet my sister, but I'm early, so I figure I'll go to the Barnes and Noble. Still some read time. Yeah. No. No, no I'm walking around, hanging out. I'm walking around like a schmuck trying to find a seat. Yeah, I almost complained. I was, I, I almost went. Only sold books though. Like this yes, and then they became like places where you could sit there for three hours and not buy anything. And that probably wrecked their business model. No, because I think a lot of people did they buy. They all closed. I think a lot of people did yeah. buy. They closed because of the internet, not because of the chairs, yeah. I, I think. I think Amazon did the man. Yes, I think oh. it was Amazon, not the chairs. I think a lot of people did sit down and, eat and read and not buy, but a lot of people bought, and a lot of people sat down, read, and like, yeah, I'm going to finish this at home, and they bought the book. I what's, what's Clayton's website to get the book? ROILOL.com. That's good. And if you want to try your luck head-to-head with Clayton, uh, you can see him at the uh, World Series of Poker, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so the book is The ROI of LOL. It's on HarperCollins. And so it's it's everywhere. It's in all the Barnes and Nobles around. Like if you if you don't want to support Amazon for any reason, you can do that. Oh, I, but I have a special coming out on Amazon Prime in January. It's called Middle Child Syndrome. Okay. Well, unfortunately, we couldn't get to that today. Next time. But next time. Um, my book. In case you're interested, uh, I Respiro Before COVID is a novel. It takes place in the world of comedy. I'm told some people say it's very good. 
Periel's a fan. Ray, I don't think he's read it, but he's. No, I he, re- it's a great book. He has not read it. Uh, that's my. Here's my blurb. Dan wrote a great book. Zero percent read. Um, <laughs> and Periel has two books out, two memoirs about her sexual coming of age. Not about my sexual coming of age. Well, it's called "The Only that. Bush I Trust Is My Own" and "On My Knees" are the two titles of the book. I didn't know you had two books. That's a two book. memoirs. They do also sound Har- like also Harper Harper Collins. The second one, the first one was Penguin. The, oh. Those sound like sexual titles, though. They're a little bit sexual, but they're not like coming of age stories. Sorry, Dan. I mean, you haven't read either one of them. Yeah, Dan, talk about well, reading. Well, I, 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 I would <laughs> definitely read it if they were available in French translation. Look at that, That's a pretty specific order. Well, I read most of my books in French, uh, just because I like to keep my French uh, in shape. Okay, can we wrap this up? Okay, thank oh. you, Aruba Ray <laughs> Allen. Hey, my book hasn't come out yet about my sexcapades with with uh, various whatever. Now, my book hasn't come out yet, but please visit uh, on on Instagram Aruba Ray's Comedy or Ray Comedy or arubacomedy.com. And if perchance you're in Aruba, come to the show. Sure. And if you want to kick get involved in a movie, and if you want to invest in Ray Allen's movie, uh, you can you can you can email all at podcast at comedysally.com for questions, comments, suggestions, or offers to fund Ray's movie. <laughs> we thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to Nicole Lyons, our behind the scenes gal with the sound, working wonders with our sound. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Thank you.